We will be looking at Galatians 3, starting in verse 7. Galatians 3. And when I pray for the Spirit's guidance, I also pray for the Liskey family because I forgot to mention it during prayer time. So our Lord and our God, uh, we do pray for the Liskey family and the loss of their step-grandfather. And I just pray, O oh Lord, for wisdom and guidance and working and taking care of the affairs when a death occurs. And be with the family and the friends. And Lord, be with us as we open your, your book of life, Lord. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you give me wisdom to reflect what you would have me to reflect onto this congregation from these verses I pray, O Lord, that you open the hearts and the ears and the minds that we walk away with a better understanding of you and a better understanding of ourselves as believers. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians 3, starting in verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed, so that those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather. The one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. You may be seated. You know, we again come to these deep waters of the book of Galatians, but I think we're, we're making progress now. You know, what's so difficult in this portion of Scripture is the reality that the enemies of the gospel, the enemies of the true gospel had arisen from within the church. And to complicate the matters, you know, there's, pe- there's people like Peter who is a true believer. No one will deny that, but he's fallen into sin by refusing to eat with Gentiles. And thus, he's placing a stumbling block for new Gentile believers. And see, and that's what Paul sees can happen. It may not be a big issue, 
But if Peter is teaching these Gentile who want to get converted by his actions and by what he's doing, then it's not just faith in Jesus, but it's also by not eating together or by getting circumcised. It's that progression, that succession, that they're coming to a false gospel. They're not relying on a true gospel. And there may be many false converts because of the errors of the leadership. And they may appear like believers. Remember, Paul is addressing people who are doing godly things. Or potentially godly things. Circumcision. Giving up something to eat. You know, fasting is part of biblical precepts. However, it's their heart condition. Why are they doing it? And unfortunately, when you have a false gospel preached, it's so close to the true gospel. It's like a counterfeit bill. You want that as close as the real thing as possible, but the counterfeit is still useless if that's what you believe in. And that's what's happening here in Galatia. They're getting a false message, a false gospel. It's Jesus plus. Jesus plus whatever makes it a false gospel, which produces false converts. And the sad thing is these converts, these, these people who believe they're saved, many times they're deceived in themselves. They may walk through life as righteous people. Only to hear on that day, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. It's because it's not based on the true gospel. No. Remember Paul before his conversion? What he did? Let's you know, we'll look at Philippians 3. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You know, in the eyes of men, Paul was blameless as a Jew. He was probably set up as an example. Oh, if you could only be like Paul. church would be so strong. But Paul was following a false belief, a false gospel. 
And he came to the light. And he realized that all those efforts that he was doing were rubbish. One reason was he was keeping the ceremonial law, which was only a shadow pointing to Jesus Christ, and he would not let that go. And also the other laws he was keeping, he was like climbing a ladder trying to get to God on his own efforts. Earn salvation through works. And you know, he was pretty good at what he was doing. If anybody got close to keeping the law, I think it was Paul. But you see, the law is a contract. It's a contract between God and man. And if you break one part of that contract, the whole contract is void and null. One sin, the contract is over. That's why you can never, ever follow the law of God or be perfect in yourself to gain or to bargain with God for salvation. You know, Paul was a pretty righteous man in the eyes of most people, even the Jews. And we know he wasn't when he was persecuting the church. And God said, Why are you persecuting me? Isn't that amazing? When we're persecuted, Jesus Christ takes it personally. But that is why Paul was so vehemently challenging these Galatians. He saw what was happening. He lived on both sides of the fence. He tried that workspace stuff. He knew he'd never be satisfied when he found the real thing. He knew, he knew he had peace with God. That peace that brought by the Holy Spirit working within him. You know, and that's the choice here. This is the great divide between people. Either we have the Holy Spirit working within us, and we are not our own, we are bought with a price, and our mind is to serve God and to let that Holy Spirit work through us, doing works in us that we don't think is even possible that we could do, or we're autonomous. We're doing it on ourselves. Self-reliant. Resulting in no working of the Holy Spirit in us. As a matter of fact, it's complete opposite. We're under the curse of God, the wrath of God. No middle ground. The great divide. And again, Paul lived on both sides of that fence. He knew what would happen if these Judaizers kept going, kept influencing the people, seeking God. That would lead deeper and deeper and deeper away from God. You know, the last time I used uh, 
analogy of a train, and I'm going to expand on that a little bit. You know, when we have true salvation, we're hooked up to that engine of the Holy Spirit. And once we're hooked up to that engine, we will never be unhooked from it. And that engine has those tracks, and there's a main line that's heading toward heaven. And we're on it. But you know, when you grow up by the railroad like I did, or maybe grew up on the other side of the tracks, or the wrong side, I don't know. But uh, there's areas where they have side tracks. That's where the train can pull off of the main rail. There's a Milwaukee road that had the Amtrak's, which went 70 miles an hour, and the freight trains, I went 55 or 60, and you had one line going east or west, and the other one going the other way. So if you had a train going east and an Amtrak train coming up to a freight train, the freight train would have to pull off onto the side track that ran parallel to the main tracks. And a lot of times these side tracks were a mile long, two miles long, as long as the train had to be. Amtrak would pass, the other train would pull back onto the main track and go. That's you know, like the Christian life. Sometimes we get sidetracked but we're still hooked to the engine. The cares of the world may hold on to us, delay our growth. Or maybe it's more comfortable just letting the other people go past towards heaven, building God's kingdom. But we're still hooked to the engine. And eventually, we'll be going in the right direction again. But also there's spur lines. Those are ones they go off in Watertown. The Milwaukee Road went northwest. And the spur line went west. Single line heading toward Madison. And that's like when a, a leaders of a church take people in the wrong direction. I'm not saying they're not believers. They may be like Peter, believers but in error. But they're still directing people in the wrong direction. And the sad thing is, is once you throw one part of God's Word under the bus, it's easier and easier to compromise more and more of God's Word. So you get further and further away. And we see it in America, the church is accepting more and more sin, getting further and further away from God, some of the churches. And how do you bring those people back? Either the leaders realize their error and turn the thing around and come back, or you have families or individuals leave that spur line and seek out to get back on the main line. So you have church splits, denominational splits, congregational splits. 
And then you have some people, some of these Judaizers, that aren't hooked to the engine at all. As a matter of fact, they take the tracks and they stand them up and like trying to build the tower of Babel to get to heaven, they think they can use those tracks and those ties like a ladder and then work their way up to heaven. One step at a time, one tie at a time. And the more ties, the more struggles they have, the more laws they think they can inflict the more they restrict themselves, they, say, they think they're getting closer and closer and closer to God. But the truth of the matter is, they're not even on the right track. It doesn't lead to God. And they'll never be satisfied because they'll never have the peace of the Holy Spirit in them. So it's also, we've got to do one more thing, one more thing, or get everybody else to do one more thing. They turn into legalism, legalists. You know, it's like in the Old Testament, the Pharisees, they had hundreds of added rules and regulations. And they put them on the people, so basically, the people were more under bondage than freedom, where God says He gives us freedom. And sadly, for those people many times, unless they get hooked up to that engine... They're just going to be climbing up into vanity and vanity their whole lives. They'll never be satisfied where they're at. They'll never be comforted that the Holy Spirit is working within them. It's because they still have not signed that peace contract with God. The struggling will get more and more and again, it never ends. It's an effort of futility, and it's worthless for salvation. And for all of us, we have to look at ourselves, and where are we at? Don't ever think we can't be deceived. If Peter can be deceived, I'm sure all of us can be deceived. You know, in 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So the study of this book of Galatians is so very, very important. Difficult, yes. But it speaks to us today. Where is my heart? Where is your heart? Are we being blessed by God? Are we still under the curse, the wrath of God? It's always something to consider when the Scripture tells you in several places to test yourself, to examine yourself. It's a good idea. 
So after that long introduction or premature conclusion, let's look at our text. It says, then, know then that in those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, I know we covered this in the last message. We won't spend much time on that, but Paul used the clear teachings from Abraham that faith came long before circumcision was even mentioned. But also that this faith, coming to faith in God, is for all the peoples of the earth. That includes us. It says, and you shall all the nations be blessed. Blessed with Abraham, a man of faith. And again, it goes back to the faith in God's promises. Faith in what Jesus Christ did and nothing, no works by ourselves. No efforts are good enough to use as a bargaining chip with God. And it continues on, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written. Under the curse. And here again, we have to be very, very careful. Concerning the laws of God. We are to keep the laws of God. We not only have them written in this book, but we have them written on our hearts. And yeah, I know some of the ceremonial laws were pointing to Jesus. Some of the laws specifically for the nation Israel. But the moral laws, they're written on our hearts. Throughout the history of the world, all societies knew, and all men knew, that if you murder somebody, it's wrong. If you steal something, it's wrong. It doesn't have to be marked or cut out in stone saying, do not steal, do not murder. It's on our hearts. Cain knew it was wrong to kill Abel. We must never say that because we have faith, it eliminates that we must adhere to God's law. For those who trust in God and are truly saved, the law keeps us in check. It keeps us humble because the closer we go to God and grow in our faith, the more we realize how far short we fall. How we'll never attain our right standing on ourselves with God. 
Jesus said he did not come to diminish the law, but to fulfill it. You know, Paul is saying the misuse of the purpose of the law. It's a hard issue. I were saying we can keep these laws on our own. That is a stench in God's nostrils. We cannot. It's only by the working of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of God that we even understand God's law. You know, we can't bargain with God. We can't be like the Pharisee in the temple. Oh, I've done this, I've done that, and I've done that. I'm far better than that creep over there. He didn't go away justified. The guy humbling himself did. It comes from faith. You know, every day the true believers remembers the promises of God. The promises of the new birth. And out of love, the believer says, Lord, how may I serve you? How may I keep your law? Help me to keep your law because I love you because what you have done for me or to me. Save me when I was yet a sinner. That is why the true believer seeks out to live an obedient life to God. Even as imperfect as we are. Our desire is to grow in faith. The just shall live by faith. In Habakkuk 2.4, Old Testament, same thing. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. He's talking about those who want to do it on their own. But the righteous shall live by faith. So nothing has changed from the Old Testament to the New What do we read? Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. The righteous shall live by faith is what Paul just said here again also a minute ago. Some people say I hate the law of God. Can't stand it. It's Old Testament. That's that's be, you know, it's different now. You know, the law in itself is not a curse. As a matter of fact, the law is perfect. Psalm nineteen: The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. 
the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and dripping of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. The curse comes from those who do not keep the law of God. The law of God is perfect. And we all know we don't keep the law of God perfectly. We should all be under the curse. But it's by faith, by the working of Jesus Christ, and His work that we are covered. Our contract is in place. We have peace with God. Even though all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we know we break the laws. Nearly every Sunday we read where we claim we have no sin, we make him out to be a, a liar. You know, the Bible makes it very clear. We're, we're wretches. None of us are pure at heart. And all the good works we do to try and bargain with God is a useless vanity. The most amazing thing is when we recognize that God loves us in spite of our sinfulness. When the Scripture says all your good works are like filthy rags, it's exactly what He means. We fall short even when we think we're doing the best. Our best. Compared to a holy God. tells us, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Okay, say again, Old Testament, New Testament, same thing. Habakkuk said the exact same thing, but the righteous shall live by faith. Old Testament, now here Paul, the righteous shall live by faith. You know, it can't get any clearer than that. It's kind of like a Dick and Jane book. See Dick run, see Jane climb. How much clearer can it get? It's by faith in Jesus Christ. It's crystal clear. No gray area. No stained glass we're looking through like some portions of Scripture. This is crystal clear. Paul continues, but the law is not of faith, rather. The one who does them shall live by them. Here again, Paul's saying the law does not bring faith. It cannot bring faith. It's the opposite. The law points us to faith. Points us to Christ. Demonstrates to us our sinfulness. 
the need of a Savior to save us from ourselves and our own sins. What we must realize when we recognize that we are without the Holy Spirit and that we are under the wrath of God, the complete wrath of God, We don't have His unmerited grace if we're still in our sin. Thankfully, it's the Holy Spirit that carries us, takes us and grabs us and brings us to what we really need. Someone else to cover our sins. Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul says here. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He became a curse for us. Just think about that. You know, what's the Jewish blessing? You know, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord let His face shine upon you, let His countenance be on you, and give you peace. What God was saying to Jesus when He took our sins, He was saying, my son, I won't even look at you. You're a disgrace to me. I'm turning your back on me. I'm laying these curses, turning you into the curse. And you will not have peace. That is when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All his physical abuse he endured was terrible, but it was nothing like the Father rejecting him. And for us, for the Galatians, Paul understood either we were going to be cursed by God, His wrath upon us, or be blessed by God, or God will let us see His face and live. No in between. I'm going to finish off by reading some verses from Isaiah 53. Something that would be good for everybody to read once a week to remind us what Jesus Christ did for us. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow acquainted with grief. 
And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If we go on to verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When the soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and she shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death. He is numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sins of many, to make intercessors, intercession for the transgressors. Our Savior became the curse. The curse that we all deserve. God the Father laid on Him the sin of all of us. He became sin. He who had no sin became sin. The Lord turned his face on his only son. Turned his back on him. Cursed him. Why? Why did God, or did Isaiah say, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him? He has put him to grief. Why did God crush his only son? Why would God do that? Tells us so that in Jesus Christ the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that he might receive the promised spirit through faith. He did it because God loves us. Not that we deserve it. It's because he just chose to love us.
And that's why when God crushed his son, put him to grief, when Jesus paid the complete penalty, it is such an insult to God and to Jesus Christ when we say we can climb up a ladder with good works and bargain with God for justification. It's a false hope. It's a false ascent. One way to God, through Jesus Christ and Him alone. That's what the Scripture teaches all throughout the Bible. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, I just pray that we realize how much You loved us. That You turned Your Son into the curse and He received the full wrath of God so that we might live. I just pray, O Lord, that You send Your Spirit to help us to live abundantly and prosperously for You, O Heavenly Father. And our goal is to please you, O Heavenly Father. By the Spirit working within us and being open for the Spirit to keep us on that right track. Doing the work that you have prepared for us in advance to do, to advance your kingdom. Teach us, O Lord, to be such a people.